You're listening to the Irish Times. So my gig yesterday, Pat, was at the Camogie. Yes. The finals in Croke Park. Uh, a great day. For once, for the first time in a long time, it was a cracking game. It was a final, actually, that the Camogie final needed. Yeah. Uh, Galway beat Kilkenny uh, 3-14 to 17 points. Uh, like, the highest scoring Camogie final in 30 years. Um, like, Kilkenny's score, losing score, would have won something like all but two of the last 13 finals, I think I looked it up last night. Like, So it was a great game. And it came on the back of two terribly boring finals that were, I think, Two of only four finals in history not to have a goal. Never, <laughs> exactly. Uh, there, exactly. There have been four finals in Kamugi history that didn't have a goal, and two of them were in the last two years. Mm. So that was. Um, and I remember we came in here this day last year and went, God, Kamugi can't go on keep keeping having these finals. Mm. Um, and they, they, in fairness, they they changed. Like the teams have changed a little bit. There were, uh, neither team had a sweeper, although <laughs> Kilkenny could have done with one <laughs> because Galway had about five goal chances in the end. A sweeper might have stopped Neve Kilkenny once or twice. Indeed, and uh, the but more uh, as importantly, the ref kind of swallowed his whistle a bit, and the freeze. There was only about half the amount of freezing this year than there was in last year's final, and they weren't given like there was a fair amount. It was, it was a hurling game. Sorry, are you advocating finals being refereed differently to other games in the year? I'm advocating finals being refereed differently to how they were last year, mm. which has been a, f- a feature of Camogie this year. They have changed the refereeing ever so slightly and allowed things that were annoying everybody last year. The the amount of physicality and the amount of... Yeah, you, okay, but aren't, aren't, aren't people... People want to see Camogie matches ref like they're hurting matches bit, and they're not. Not yet. No. Well, no, as in there, it's a different sport. It's a different sport, yes. But uh, no, they, they have presaged, the, there is a, they're, they're rewriting the rules or, of it over the winter. They're at least putting a task force together to mm. look at rewriting the rules. Um, and by the strict rules of Camogie, uh, I'd say they probably weren't followed to the letter yesterday. Uh, and yet it was a more enjoyable game. Yeah. So go figure. Um, but... Um, Sorry, I should say, this is the Out of Time podcast. This is me, Malachy Clerken, and you, Pat Nugent. May as well wedge that in there somewhere. Well done. Um, but uh, uh, another part of yesterday was um, Westmeath, Pat. Won the intermediate. Indeed they did. Two uh, years on from winning the junior. Indeed, and came from eight points down against uh, Galway to do it. Uh, Galway were in the intermediate and the senior. Um, so it was a fantastic thing. And uh, a huge, hugely emotional end to the game where they all ran onto the pitch. And you will know, Pat, having been to uh, Croke Park on big days, that when the final whistle goes after a final, mm-hmm. or indeed most big games, actually, they play the song of the county. A song of the county. You'll remember fondly that after the All-Ireland they played Sleeve Naman. They did indeed, yeah. Uh they always play the Rose of Moon Coin, that awful, awful bleeding song for when Kilkenny win yeah. an All Ireland. Uh, Mayo friends of ours long for the day, Pat. Long for the day when the All Ireland final finishes and the green and red of Mayo. There will be tears. There yeah. will be there will be tears in the in the crowd when that <laughs> happens. What did they choose for the Westmeath Intermediate Camogie players yesterday? Go on. 
they chose the Westmeath Bachelor. Well, let's let's hear a little bit. <laughs> A friend introduced me to a sexy old movie star She was married several times before to men of every breed And she thought she had a sucker in the bachelor from Westmeal away The Reds of Honor and Marnie Stop, well there you Stop. go turn it off <laughs> that, It seems entirely appropriate to play a song about a man Warning people about evil women. Evil women. And how they are only after you for your money. Indeed. And uh, how you should stay away from them. Yes. That seems like an entirely appropriate song to play at the end of a camogie final, doesn't it? <laughs> Indeed. I couldn't get over it. Like, we were kind of, we were all looking at each other at the press box. So, are they really playing that? Is that really, really on? What I was, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier who, who did some research for me. And he claimed mm. that if the Westmeath men won... Uh, final anytime soon Yeah, he reckoned that the same song would be played oh it would be yeah it, but it's, it's nothing to do with sexism it would be the argument it's to do with all they want is a song with the word Westmeath in it well fine but <laughs> but to look at it the other way when Galway won the All-Ireland two years ago in the hurling mm-hmm. they played the Fields of Athenry and it mm-hmm. went through Croke Park but mm-hmm. yesterday when the Galway women won very true. they switched and they played Galway Girl mm. so they have given this some thought it seem, seemingly so, yeah. Uh, yet again, I'm moved to ask, though, why why on earth um, songs uh, after All-Ireland Finals have to be about men chasing women? Well, yeah. <laughs> the Rose of Tralee, the Rose of Mooncoin, um, even Galway Girl, a grand song, though it is, by Steve Earle, the, the original version, mm. although I don't think they played that. Uh, they did uh, play that, and then they also played the Ed Sheeran one. <laughs> Yeah. It did. Yeah. <laughs> but even, even that song is still about a man chasing a woman which is what on earth it has got to do with but sport <laughs> is beyond me but it does miss because they have demonstrated wit before like when Limerick won yeah. last year at some point they struck up the opening bars well, of, course of they sta- Dreams uh, hang on of course they started with Limerick you're a lady uh, fair enough yeah. <laughs> just to keep the theme yeah. but they did and genuinely it was a th- it was a fantastic moment uh, it was the second song they played Dolores de Reardon was only a few months gone uh, and it was this beautiful song uh, about dreams coming true mm. and Limerick were dancing it like it was there wasn't a dry eye in the house fair enough you well heard played. the crowd react on Absolutely. the day oh, it was yeah. fantastic yeah hooray Westmeath Bachelor, mm. some old scrot living in his house with his brother and his cat and his dog working on the bog and saying, oh, the women aren't going to get a hold of me. Yeah. I mean, I really think we could have thought outside the box on this one. Like. Now, in saying that, I don't know any other Westmeath songs. I would love for people to get in touch with me. There are bound to be some other... Well... Folk songs from Deepest Athlone. If you can go playing or term Steve Earle songs uh, yeah. or, or whatever. Niall Breslin, or not Niall Breslin, Niall Horan. Brezzy is also from Westmead, but Niall Horan of One Direction. Yeah. There's an, an awful lot of young girls in Croke Park yesterday. There you have it. Play a One Direction song. There you got it. Wh- whatever. Like, it, it clearly doesn't matter if we can play Ed Sheeran or whatever. The amount that we're after thinking about that, mm-hmm. that's an infinite 
times the amount that the people who put on the music in Croke Park thought about it. And that's a problem. And they're paid for it. Yeah. We're not even paid for this. No, God. (laughs) (laughs) Better move on, so. Gotta move on, (laughs) because our time is our own. Um, That will be, later on we're going to talk to Emmett Malone about the soccer Ireland play Bulgaria tomorrow night in Lansdowne Road. But we will start with the rugby and Ireland's last prep game for the World Cup was on Saturday, they beat Wales 19-10. Gavin Comiskey is here, how are you Gavin? Good morning. Uh, Let us begin, let's begin uh, at the end and a very tearful Rory Best at the end, um, which was quite nice to see. And it was nice to see the reception he got, uh, even if things are still a little rocky. Uh, no, fair play to him. He's made his fourth World Cup uh, after a little wobble. He has he did recover really well. He had an excellent performance in Cardiff. Um, after his second line-out mm-hmm. on Saturday, the mm-hmm. standing ovation was going to be a bit, was under <laughs> a bit of heat. Himself and James Ryan are now 100% looks like charged with sorting out how where, which direction Ireland go at this tournament. Mm-hmm. In the first two line outs, they couldn't find each other. And then Ryan called the next two on himself and everything got everything kind of clicked into gear and Ireland really well, performed well. Let's hope it clicked into gear. Uh, I did I did I saw, the line out's gonna be I an saw, issue throughout this whole yeah, tournament. When uh, I saw Alan Wynne Jones go up and, and just claw the second one back, I went, Yeah, they're they're up against big boys here. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, is this Ri- might this mightn't be, Richard, this mightn't be Rich, great. Richard Mulligan, a, a good solid Ulster journalist, had been giving me the e- evil eye beforehand over a best piece I wrote on best. <laughs> and after the second line, it he looked at me and just looked up to the heavens. And we were kind of got. And John O'Sullivan was sitting beside me, and I was like, "That's zero from two. What if we get to zero from five? We're mm. back to square mm. one again." But they didn't. They did. They fixed it. They kept it simple, and they got out of it. And then it was like fifty-two minutes. Rory Best came off to a standing ovation and it was almost as if everyone kind of went hang on and double down and everyone got up off their seat. Right. Because what he's done, his career has been really special. Like he was, I remember the first time I saw him, it was playing Belfast Harlequins AIL against up in Clontarf. Um, so he wasn't a professional at that stage and he would have been 21, 22 and you, you know, he's a bit behind eight but he was not 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 high up the pecking order as a test mm-hmm. hooker. His brother was already kind of mapped to being the star in the family. And like he was behind Jerry Flannery for a long time and then he hit the 2011 World Cup and we were like, oh, he's world class. He was like a flanker. He was like an open side in that tournament for Ireland and the next eight years he's just gone up and up and up and He's such a steady pair of hands that Schmidt went, Jamie Heaslip wasn't too pleased about it and a couple of others, or Sexton for that matter, I don't think that they probably were more natural leaders or something like that. But his, his kind of steady hand on the tiller, turns out that Schmidt made the right call. Uh, there was a real risk that it, it was that they'd kind of got too locked into each other and they'd, they'd run out of time after what we saw in Twickenham. But no, in fairness to him, um, I think he's shown his reaction in the last two Welsh games that he deserves to be the starting hooker. Fair play to him. But... Uh, he won't be finishing matches, but he'll be. He looks like he'll be starting the first one anyway. Also, following Paul O'Connell, like maybe Ireland's most legendary captain ever. Yeah, you got to. It was never going to be an easy job, like you know. No, it's an, an enormous task to, to ask him to go lead, lead like that. And they do have a leadership group now. That is, I asked Sexton about this a couple of months ago, and I was like, it's kind of, it's you, the Leinster captain, it's the Munster captain, Peter O'Mahony, and it's the Ulster captain. And he was like, nah, it's not. There's about six or seven, I think. Pretty confident James Ryan's one of the leaders already. If you just watch the games, you mm. can see he's the leader. I would have, like, in years gone by, we he might have been fast-tracked into the captaincy, but 
at where, where it's not now that that's that decision's set in stone but um there is other leaders there they they have you can't follow O'Connell with another person, you know. Um, so they haven't. They follow him with six or seven people. <laughs> Literally, they <laughs> have. They really have followed him. Like I think Ringrose has a voice there. Um, you know, his place is under a little bit of threat for the first game, but uh, they have um, they have a group now. That's how they do it. Um, there's a group dynamics with Ireland. Like even Jerry was referencing it there a while ago that Schmidt didn't just pick this team like a dictator. It would have been Simon Eastby and Andy Farrell coming in on the squad. Well, if you f- can contrast that. It's almost certainly Eddie Jones who makes the decisions. Takes a bit of advice with the England camp, but he, he makes his deci- He makes the off-field decisions. There's no doubt about that. But it's a bit more of a Ireland. Everyone got to work together to get where we need to go. Um, last week was all about the players who didn't make the squad, the players who were hard done by the the you know the, the sob stories or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, a little lost in it, I thought. I, I, even after listening back to our podcast, a little lost in it is the actual strength of the squad. Yeah. It is a very strong squad. Uh, look, Joe Schmidt's big decisions started the process of paying him back on the weekend. Mm. Reese Ruddock, I like. I think Mike Ruddock had a pot at me, his, his dad, a couple of months ago. I've been picking the World Cup squad for about six months now, so I have. In, in, I noticed. Every now and again, yeah. yeah. And it was about six months ago, I, I, I named, uh, it was just like a couple of pars thing on. Here, here's where it could be before the Six Nations mm. or something like that. And I'd been talking to Mike Ruddick about something else and he uh, had a he had a little part of me going, like he didn't even mention Reese, like, you know, he's one of the best six. And I was like, <laughs> I said, but he's always injured, you know? And he's, he has been like, he's only got 22 caps and he was first captain when he was 19, okay? And he's right. 28 now. Yeah. So he should have 60, 70 caps. Um, but he's fit. No picnic getting into the Ireland back row through all uh, those years I'm, in I'm, fairness. I'm telling you now, he would have taken a good 20, 30 caps off Peter O'Mahony just because of his power. Right. You know, and we saw it. Alan Wynne Jones tried to make... that he put him back in his arse. So that's why he's there and that's why Klein's there. The, it's now a case of... Uh, Ruddock is, going, is, going, is putting real heat on either CJ Stander or Jack Conan, which is a huge plus for the Ireland management that they have this power guy and nobody is crying about Jordy Murphy, although he would have been very versatile and probably will end up out there from injury. But Ruddock looks like an, a, a weapon that everyone had kind of almost forgotten about that Ireland now possess. Um, which is a, it, it's a, it's going to be a real bonus because <clears throat> I have a, I have a theory that I think that they're going to pick a team to play Scotland on Sunday week, and then they're not going to we're not going to see the same fifteen. I think there'll be like a good few changes because Schmidt keeps banging on about the six day turnover. I really think he's going to pick two different teams to beat them. One of them, the Scotland team, will be very close to what you think is the, what what we perceive to be the best Ireland team. Mm-hmm. But then I think he might. I won't be surprised to see him go to the Clines and the Ruddocks and the henshaws of this world in certain positions for the, the Japan game keep the ball and just do what South Africa did to them last Friday and just murder them just run over them batter them give them nothing um, that's how you beat Japan so I think he's going to lay out two different blueprints for how he uh, takes care of both those games You mentioned earlier um, Gary Ringrose <clears throat> how secure is his like is he going to be dropped is he first choice anymore for the Scotland game would say so Look, he, he still is such a, he, he's still a hugely key player. That's what I mean. So he they might just stay with why would you like Bundy Aki and Robbie Henshaw makes a lot of sense, doesn't mm-hmm. it? After what we just saw. Um so you might stay with that, but then Ringrose is the thirteen for the Japan game, you know what I mean? Or or vice versa. Uh, Schmidt has consistently turned around for the last while and gone, 
Gary Ringrose has played out half in school. I went and checked this. I actually found his uh, <laughs> under-16s coach in school, who was a guy I know, who uh, said, yeah, he played out half in fourth year on a team that plays in the fifth seniors thing. So, come on, like, he's not an out half. But he's playing out half. Like, players in camp have said, like, Robbie can play anywhere. You doubted Joe Schmidt. Yeah, I went. You doubted and it, I, and it took you, it took you nearly a fortnight to prove it right. I, yeah, I, I, I don't, if you're referencing an under-16 season... Uh, you're, Joe said it. But I, you were wrong. Anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah, I I, I apologise. <laughs> I apologise profusely. But the uh, he can play fullback and cover wing. But the whole point is when when Schmidt drops hints like this over the years, it seems like he might be shaping him into number twenty three mm-hmm. for certain games. Um, his form has been great and all that. But I I think you need him in the team for it to be. The thing is, Keith Earls has an injury now. Ringrose came on the wing for him on the weekend. And was excellent, and he has been. He's repeatedly said he can play wing. He can play wing. He's not really a winger, like you know. What I mean, he's definitely an outside centre. And again, but um, what what it was happening here at the moment is uh, Schmidt. I, I believe they've kind of changed. They've had to change. Twickenham forced them that they're going with um, form is king, you know. And if you're performing, this is not a, so much a slide on Ringrose, who was actually excellent when he came on. First thing he did was make two tackles in two seconds. Mm. Uh, but uh, like Hench, how could you? Henshaw and Aki, it's really difficult to, to take them out of the team. Like what they did was, it's the old school. It's the it, it opened up the ground for Gatland to have a pot and go off nine, off nine. You're just going to try and ram your way over, which was uh, which will win a game against Scotland, which will win a game against Japan, which will not win a game against uh, South Africa in a quarter final. It actually the, it was effective in 2016 in Chicago when you play that way and you you, you break the gain line and then everything else opens up for you. You mentioned that earlier. So if we have a game plan that is going to be enough to get us by most teams but not the really big hitters if we count the big hitters as being <clears throat> the Saracens inspired England team and South Africa but not so much New Zealand do we want to win the group or do we, basically do we want to meet New Zealand in a quarter final as opposed to meet South Africa I just don't think that's even remotely in the thought process Just you just beat the first two teams because if you don't beat the first two teams the whole thing could crash down around you because you know, the form thing and it gets mm. pe- pe- oh my god if you can't beat Japan or Scotland imagine the mentality of the group so it doesn't really matter right. just deal with it when it comes you're going to have the shit kicked out of you by Samoa anyway in the last pool match just watch them they did a bit of damage on the Wallabies the Wallabies comfortably won the game on the weekend there's all these farewell matches over the weekend like New Zealand put 90 points on Tonga and played mm. with 14 men to practice that but um, the Samoans showed their physicality was other level, and so there's lots of um, little things about that. But it, it, like, it doesn't really matter. Yes, South Africa look like the best team in the world. They have they really just look stacked in every position. They got the power. They got these. They got three unbelievable world class wingers. Um, they've looked like they've got their their centers fixed out. Their Pollard's a superb at half, while the All Blacks haven't really figured out their team. But like. They're going to figure out their team by the time the quarterfinals comes along, you know. Whether they... They'll probably have their team figured out by the time they play South Africa on Saturday week, you know. Yeah, just for anybody who didn't follow that there, when New Zealand were playing... It was Tonga at the Tonga, weekend, wasn't Tonga, it? Tonga, yeah. They put they had 90 points on him and they Ryan Crotty hadn't played in a few months and so they took him off with 15 minutes to go. But they'd all their replacements made but they still took him off and just played with 14 men for the for the closing part of the game. A little bit disrespectful, but their point was we've lost the Lions Test Series because we we weren't able to handle playing with 14 men and it's happened to us a couple of times. Scott Barrett in red card as well, so they wanted to practice it. It's like what the Dubs did in the All-Ireland Final. 
pretty much. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same thing. <laughs> Johnny Sexton played his first full game in what was it? Three months. Yeah, he ran into Jake Ball. Poor lad. <laughs> yeah, kind of every. There was a collective intake of breath when that happened. Yeah, like there's a guy on the pitch who's 121 kgs who is a big caveman, and you just don't turn change direction and run into him and you can run into anyone else <laughs> just not him and you could see it, it was like oh I'm back playing rugby again and a few minutes later then he did a loop which Jonathan Davis read um, so they're not playing and not using any of their plays Sexton there was so many times he got the I ball I thought that was so like even to an untrained gobdoll like me it was so obvious uh, on Saturday that this was there was nothing you could see there was absolutely nothing happened that was out of the ordinary that would make you raise an eyebrow and and exactly sure why would it yeah they're given they're showing nothing like you could see the, the blind winger coming in to trail the eight half and then the, he'd stop he wouldn't trail the eight mm. half and like so the defence could just set up but mm. it, they were already making gain line and Wales were just like I'm not getting injured was their overwhelming kind mm. of attitude it seemed so yeah everything like, so we've said everything I just said there about how uh, this off nine and this the, the Gatland having a, a kind of a pot at Ireland about how they're going back to what they the basic stuff they will there's definitely a whole playbook that's been kept and that Schmidt's only been shown, shown on the training ground and we've seen it like like the Stockdale try in Murrayfield during the Six Nations that's coming you know what I mean like there's, there's versions of these things that are going to come back out the Twickenham try in 2018 there's that and more that they've been probably working on over and over and over mm. again so once the line out is Gets gets fixed a brand new line out that they're building. We'll see. We'll see plenty of it. Like um, Jack Carty was interesting uh, for the while that he was on. Uh, I thought he he showed a lot of a kind of a lot of gumption in that he like he chipped sort of three times and each time I I was actually in a, a, a pub in Monaghan watching it. Um, and up you to couldn't interview Banty, were you? Up to interview Banty, indeed. But you couldn't hear the uh, the the commentary. Um, so it was only after the fact each time that I realised that the ref had given a penalty each time. So he'd like he had a, he had a free kick. Are at you the, talking about the outside of, of the boot time. one for he yeah. sliced across field for Gary Ringo? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like none of them came off. You do that in but, a big game and you get dropped straight away, though. Or well, you give away seven points. Well, ex- yeah. except that he had the yeah he had the penalty. Like he. I thought it was clever of him to realise in each occasion that he had he had a bit of licence to try something. Hmm. He's a lovely footballer, but uh, uh, it still goes back to for Ireland to change things up. It's not Jack Carty; it's mm. Mr. Carberry getting fit and getting back up. And they're, they're have pretty... we any sense there? Uh, Andy Farr was pretty confident there on Thursday when he was talking to the media that um, he's on track, should be fine. Uh, it, but what they do know now is if we don't get him on the bench for Scotland. Carty's okay to see it close out that game if everything goes according to plan in the first 60, 70 minutes. Um, but they're very confident that he'll be back for Japan. You know, like Ireland might be about to carry one or two players like Keith Earls, whether he makes it or not. But like, there's plenty of teams carrying. Like Mako Vunapola has a torn hamstring. He's gone. Uh, Brody Vitalik might make the quarterfinal for the All Blacks. Lots of teams are carrying players. Mm. Um, it's a big tournament. It's a long tournament. Long you know? tournament. So people are thinking big picture. Like so, but... Uh, I think Carty, yeah, could see him. He's settled into it, and you can see why he got picked now. You can that was you can see why he got picked ahead of Ross Byrne, but it's still um, the, the, the unseen Carberry factor that we don't know about fully. That's still that's that's still the kind of the, the ace in the hole. I don't know if Joe Schmidt had his tongue loosened by the fact that it was his last game at the Aviva, but over the weekend he's kind of said a few things that were slightly more interesting than than he usually strives to be. 
like where he commented on the fact that he his announcement about stepping down, he was kind of questioning his own timing on doing it a little bit. And he also was looking back at the England game and he said it was the only time he can remember in six and a half years that we haven't really fought hard for the jersey. That's almost surprising to hear him come out with a statement as strong as that, isn't it? Yeah, it was, and I remember him really well after that game, talking to us, talking to the print guys. And he looked ashen, he looked older and all that. And uh, he, he actually turned around and he went, look, these lads are these lads are fallible. They're only humans, you know. Everyone had kind of built them up to be machines. We're not, they're not, you know. Um, took them a long time to recover from that. They still haven't. They're still kind of, they were reeling, basically ruined the Six Nations for them, you know. But um, uh, what we've seen is an attitude in the last two Welsh games that they're going to carry to the World Cup. Like really, nobody's going to. Everyone's going to show up, it seems like, you know what I mean? And it's just a case of whether, how they show up, how they play, you know what I mean? Whether there's, there's more in the tank. And it's all about, uh, can can Ireland get to get over the game line in the games that matter? Like, it's still still right there. It's still the major problem that'll, that'll stop this train from going where it's never been before, you know? Well, then, the next time that we talk to you, I would imagine you'll be in Japan. Um, people should know that we're going to do some extra podcasts. If the typhoon, typhoon lets me land, actually, this week. Nothing can stop right. a black rock boy like you going wherever he wants, Gavin. I'm a poor nature, man. Nature quails in the face of a man like you. Anyway, uh, people should know we're doing extra podcasts uh, through the World Cup. Uh, so every Thursday morning, we'll be recording with either yourself or Jerry or Keith. Mondays or and Thursdays, is it? Mondays and Thursdays. So and, my uh, night time, yeah. I will do it before your night time. It'll be mid-afternoon. You'll Congrats. only be on your second mid-afternoon beer by the time we talk to you. Exactly. Uh, indeed. Uh, thank you very much, Gavin. No worries. Late last night, Pat, as I was sitting in Croke Park, uh, my Twitter started buzzing with news of soccer from Tbilisi. Uh, and people getting very excited about uh, the fact that Denmark weren't beating Georgia. Uh, and it reminded me that there is plenty at stake. Uh, that last week's draw against uh, Switzerland was uh, a great thing, or can be a great thing. You always know the stakes are high when you're getting news from Tbilisi. <laughs> indeed. Uh, and Emmett Malone has been out to, or indeed is still in Abbottstown this morning. How are you, Emmett? Hi, Malky. How's it going? Uh, going good. Um, Mick uh, McCarthy and Seamus <coughs> Coleman were, were up talking this morning. How were they in good fettle? Yeah, they're in good form. Um, McCarthy suddenly, you know, finds himself um, dousing the flames of expectation again <laughs> after uh, after Denmark goes doesn't to Greece, as you say. And yeah, no, it certainly does not. You know, um, uh, yeah. So uh, people were asking about that again. Um, he's um, suddenly finds himself having to kind of uh, talk everyone down. Um, uh, but but there's no doubt that it's it's a good result. It's given the team a bit more bit more kind of leeway in terms of the rest of the campaign. I don't think that you really could have plotted uh, a terribly plausible uh, route to the finals that wouldn't have involved winning in 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 Tbilisi, which is not for one moment to say mm-hmm. that it will be easy. Um, but um, but the Danes, having dropped points at home to us, have now dropped points over there. And if Ireland can win there next month, then um, then they go into the last two games need, needing either two draws or one win uh, against either side, either the Danes or Switzerland. Um, and and I don't think you know when you were kind of looking at this draw, um, 
last December in the convention centre that really you could have hoped for much more than that. It's not a, you know, both like the Swiss looked very good the other day. We have certainly seen what the Danes can do to us at home on their day. Um, but, you know, look, if, 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 uh, if we're to say that uh, two draws or one win is beyond us, then, you know, we certainly have no complaints come the end of the campaign. This is our first time talking to you since uh, the Swiss game. What did you make of mm. it in total? Um, well, look, I mean, it is that classic thing of, of, of uh, you know, a slightly disappointing draw seem, seeming like a victory um, because of the, the order of the goals. Um, it's, it's sort of bewildering how Ireland do this so often. Mm. You know, they didn't play especially well. They were up against a team that was manifestly technically better. Um, they conceded really, you know, what, what turned out to be a very fine goal. Uh, they, they kind of frustrated the um, the Swiss for for long periods, which you know, and uh, kind of there was a touch of blood and guts about some of the defending. But um, uh, Shane Duffy was outstanding, um, you know. But but we we allowed the Swiss to give us a lot of problems, and we struggled to contain them in midfield. We struggled to contain them down our right hand side. Um, and so you sensed for, you know, for quite a long time that there, that there was probably a goal coming. And yet, you know, as so often in the past, the, the, the Irish team then goes on and, and saves itself. And, and you're thinking like if you're the Swiss beforehand, you've watched 100 videos of Ireland being, going behind <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then turning it all up to 11, you know, and you've briefed your players like it's going to get pretty hairy at that stage, lads, you know, and you're going to be prepared, have to be prepared. And yet the Swiss, you know, as with so many of the other sides we've done it against, didn't really entirely know like they they knew what it was hitting them um, when I, when Ireland got going. So, look, it was very spirited. Um, you know, James James McLean probably sums it up in that, you know, a lot of his play is entirely erratic. He does things mm. in his own half that you'd really prefer that he didn't. Um, uh, you know, he's... He's in in many ways, you know, the player who who embodies what what the what the tr- kind of traditional sense of what Ireland. About. He certainly must be the player who embodies it for for all of these foreign managers who talk about us being old school British football. Mm. Um, and yet, you know, uh, what he did uh, for the goal, the way he retrieves possession, is outstanding. I mean, he, he, he's probably stupendously lucky that the, his, his cross then takes a very big deflection because we're not quite sure where it would have gone otherwise. But um, but it worked out perfectly and um and we come away we come away happy with a draw um um which which we you know given the balance of play and everything like that you know i think we have to be so um look again it's kept us in that situation where last night's result in in tbilisi was such a big thing Uh, if we'd lost the other day then uh, then i think we'd be really up against it they are interesting in those periods after they go behind in games late in games or whatever Mm. 20 minutes to go in games they do then become the sort of team that you couldn't but love, like they, because they're they're full of piss and vinegar, yeah. and they're full of, uh, but but like they, it it isn't just all you know hammer and tongs, throw everything into the box. They actually start playing some nice football. They start moving it around, like like then Whelan's shot was it was a cracker that that do, came do. back off the off the crossbar in the lead up to the goal. They are a team yeah, that they, yeah. they, 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 that you understand. I mean, it wasn't the product of a. It wasn't the product of a, a, a 
you know, a, a sustained period of nice play, to be fair, mm. was, I think, a, a, you know, a, a partially cleared um, set piece mm. that, that, you know, hops nicely for him and he, and he connects really, really sweetly with it. I, the pity of that all was, you know, don't begrudge Dave McGoldrick his goal. It's fantastic. He's off the mark. Hopefully it'll kind of give him the sort of confidence to score another few for Ireland. But, oh, my God, it just would have been wonderful if yeah. the goal, the shot had got in. It would have been, uh, it would have been a scorcher. Um, and, like, you know, two goals and whatever he has, 89 caps or something like that it's uh, it would have been it would have been fantastic um Look, yeah, absolutely. You can't but love them uh, when when they do that. They, you know, there were glimpses of some uh, of, of some uh, nice passing football mm-hmm. the other day. Uh, you know, I think you know uh, the attacking side of it for sure. I thought uh, Robinson um, showed sort of you know both sides of, of the equation for Ireland. Uh, he was involved in some really creative stuff for Ireland pushing forward. Some nice touches, uh, attempting things that, that that were coming off and. I, like I mean, so often with with Ireland, when they, when they do try to be clever, you want them to to uh, to aspire to a little bit more, and yet when they when they then kind of put that into practice, they tend to you know give the ball away so cheaply. Uh, Robinson shows that you know you can be creative, you can kind of you know um, be a little bit unpredictable, and it can come off you. But at the same time, it was his side of the pitch that we were um, that we were getting really uh, uh, put under a lot of pressure from down, down you know down down what was the Swiss left flank by their wing back. And um, and that was an issue for us. And he had some part to play, I think. And you know, he he uh, wasn't doing a huge amount of stem on that side as well. And Coleman was having, uh, you know, was being presented with a lot to deal with. The other flip side of Ireland is that the, the, the team that goes ahead early on and then you know mm. manages to make an equaliser for, for for their opponents look absolutely inevitable and uh, and we've seen a fair bit of that down the years as well. So you know it it, it is a strange thing about this Irish team. They have some very admirable characteristics and yet they are endlessly frustrating to watch <laughs> as well at times. Um, tomorrow evening or Tuesday evening, we're playing uh, Bulgaria. Bulgaria, who got absolutely hided by England at the weekend. Yeah. What um what will Ireland want attempt to get out of this match? Are we going to see some new faces at the Aviva? Yeah, I suspect so. I mean the the, the Bulgarians um the Bulgarians do get very well beaten. I watched the game the other day. They showed a real lack of ambition. They they were tidy and you know passed the ball kind of nicely enough around their own half um, for 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 decent stretches. Uh, they frustrated England for a while, but they didn't show very much ambition at all and and very little bite to them. You know they were they were a very very average side. They've made a poor start to this campaign. They've two draws from five games, lost their last three. It's a year today since they won a game. Um, so I mean it's just kind of remarkable. Lose track of, of teams like Bulgaria, and, mm. and uh, they're still somehow ingrained in your brain as um, as the great team you saw in the uh, in the nineties, uh, which with, with the you know the obviously the, the you know the likes of Stoichkov um, there, but they finished fourth at the ninety four World Cup and and, uh, and and had a lot going for them. Um, the current generation is very very average by 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 comparison. The, you know most of them based at home in the league. There, I think um, McCarthy, the, what he will want is a competitive game. I think he's going to make. Changes. Uh, he will give uh, he, he, in the in the competitive games that he's had so far. It has been a very settled side. Um, very few opportunities for for the kind of you know other half of the squad to come in and show what they can do, and I think he will try to give them that tomorrow. And I think you know again with players, a number of players struggling to get first team football at club level, he'll also want to give them ninety minutes of football. But uh, you know the the the, the 
the the key element of that really is that that's not an enormous amount of use on, unless it's a you know even somewhat vaguely competitive game and 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 so he'll he'll look for that. I I think you know um, the Bulgarians because it's so long since they won a game um it will mean that little bit more to them that you know uh they, they you know you would like to think that they will want to come here and and beat us um just from a morale boosting point of view their new manager has been in since may he hasn't won a game yet in fact he suffered three defeats on the on the trot one of them i think uh, three two at home to kosovo who admittedly are on a kind of remarkable run of results themselves but you know this is not a good scenario for them um so it can go two ways with bulgaria they can come in they can be you know kind of quite beat down by this uh, succession of poor results, or they can come in and, and feel that they have, you know, they, they have something to gain from this, and hopefully it'll be the latter. For McCarthy, I think he'll view that a lot of his players have something to gain from it. That uh, that the likes of James Collins, who's you know been kind of sitting waiting for for an opportunity to come in, um, can 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 take it and 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 show that there's some depth to the squad uh, because um, because it's inevitable over the course of the campaign that the likes of him, John Egan, you know, maybe even Josh Cullen, Callum O'Dowd, who was playing a fair bit under Martin O'Neill but has, has has been more marginal now, um, that that they will have that they will get opportunities most likely uh, at some stage and 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 he'll he'll want to see them kind of you know reminding them that uh, that they're worthy of those. All right, listen, Emma, thanks a million. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Take care of yourself. Uh, thanks to Gavin, who was in chatting to us earlier about the rugby. Thanks to you, Pat. Thanks, Matt. And thanks to uh, Jenny and Declan behind the glass. And we will see everybody next week. <laughs> <laughs>